Hi, I'm Rebecca Lair. And I'm Amy Choi, and this is the Mashup Americans, where however you mash up is just right. You know, I really like the laundry list of hyphens. Like when you go way into the weeds of birth order and how old your parents were when they had you and what dialect you speak and how you like your kimchi. All of it is important. Yes. Well, describing your mashup is not really a time to be vague. Like, each piece of information is a potential point of connection. I need to know whether you're vegan or not because it lets me know whether or not we can be friends. (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously, it's all good. It's all good. Well, except for one answer. Ah, yes. The one unacceptable answer to how do you mash up. Just Just normal normal American. American. Yeah, uh uh-uh, that's no bueno. There are no just normal Americans. Okay, so this may be the most straight-up mashup episode of the Mashup Americans ever. We are talking about finding your people. Or in other words, finding our people. I mean, that's how we got here. Right. That's why we're here, making this podcast, (laughs) because we found each other and because we wanted to find our family in the world. You listeners are our family. You are who we are here for. You are our people. Oh, my God. Is it possible to say enough about how important it is to be with the people you truly feel understand you? Probably not, but we're going to do our best and just add 30 minutes of pure love into the world today. Yeah, so today we're going to open up a little window into our lives and introduce you, dear listener, to our people. So, my sister from another mister, Daniela. And also, my girls, Alex and Cindy and Unique. How we found our people and why that was truly life-changing for both of us as mashups and just as, you know, humans trying to make it out there in the world. Mm-hmm. We're also going to have a pretty sweet tribute to Basement Bunger, which, if you don't know, was the longest-running event in NYC nightlife history. It's a 20-year party celebrating Bhangra, South Asian identity, and unity. It's a true mashup of cultures, sexual identities, incomes, music, and more. But the best part we save for last, how we found you. Stay tuned. <laughs> know that we are supported by nonprofit and independent media? That's right. And now it's your chance to support the Mashup Americans. For as little as $5 a month, you can make sure that we are continuing to tell the stories of all kinds of mashups. It's at our core to tell the stories and have the conversations that nobody else is having. We want to provide a space for folks like us and like you to be heard and represented. By supporting this show, you will be able to listen knowing that you are directly helping us to produce it. Join today at mashupamericans.com slash donate. So I'm just a little nervous because this is kind of like when my parents met Neil's parents and I just wanted them to like each other so much. Which they did. But, I mean, you know Daniela. Of course I know Daniela. I mean, you're both Latin Jews in a world with a lot of one, not many of the other, but very, very few of both of those mashups. And But that's not even it. I mean, of course not. I'll let you introduce her. So Daniela Gesundheit, that's her name, and it's the best name ever, is a <laughs> musician and one half of the group Snowblink, an Angelino, a profound, beautiful human, and yes, a Mexican Jew, and my bestie. I done the dark some parts of you. You done the dark some parts of me. 
You and I were in seventh grade. We had already been alerted by our fathers to look out for one another because they're both architects. They knew each other. And this one day in class, I think we were supposed to choose partners. And then there was a bully, a bully gal <laughs> in our class. Um, a bula. A bula. <laughs> a bulita. <laughs> and I remember her really trying to like keep me out of this situation. And you defended my honor. And you called her out the bolina was trying to s- squeeze in there and and like no that's daniella's seat you can't mm-hmm. just take her seat just because you think you're more important or mm-hmm. something and um so from there it was kind of we knew we were a team yeah and i'm an introvert you're an extrovert i like needed an ambassador yes <laughs> you're a really good ambassador you know we're all just trying to get our bearings i think i mean this is seventh grade my last name is Gesundheit, and at the beginning of every single class for every period I had to go through, again, the teacher saying my name out loud and and all of my new peers just being like, laughing, you know. It's a real, it's it's a real name. It's a real name. I mean, Gesundheit is a real name. I think that the fact that we're both half Latin Jew, half native Angelino. It always felt very familiar and comfortable. There's cilantro and lime in your chicken soup, too. Right, exactly. Um, We had... uh, an overlapping group and then separate social yeah, groups, right? Yeah, it was right? a Venn diagram. Yeah. Our space was the more comfortable one, you it know? home, for sure, of course. I lost my brother when I was 14, and it's like 14-year-old kids, they're so terrible. At <laughs> they shouldn't be equipped to support a friend through that because it's, it's a crazy thing to go through. But you somehow, you just like had tools and you were like draw me lovely pictures before school and just you know I think you were just able to be there in a way that none of my peers could be. It's hard to really um, think about how young we were how, how young you were and I think it was also something that both of our parents taught us. Mine were like put on an outfit and we're going to Daniela's house right now mm-hmm. because it's Shiva and mm-hmm. that's what we do and I think they modeled that for me, but we kind of just knew to that we needed each other. Yeah. That's indicative of how you move through the world. You show up. You face things. You don't kind of step back or step away. It is the through line of your character. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. This is actually a surprise. This is your life where I get to talk about me. <laughs> Somehow we talk about your brother dying and it's about me. Um uh, how long did it take you to sort of think about your Latinness, like to kind of embrace it? I don't think it really registered until I went to college, to be honest. Um, some Something about growing up in L.A., it is so ubiquitous, Latinness, and, and just that culture didn't feel entirely other to me. Um, but then suddenly when I went to the East Coast for college and most people were from New York or New England, I suddenly felt like muy exotica, you know, yeah. like I just felt like so. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Really, yeah, I felt really um, colorful. <laughs> <laughs> As I've said, I'm not a very extroverted or like domineering kind of personality or person, but I suddenly felt kind of like loud and operatic somehow or like or or very gestural with my body language or um I just I felt like I had to sort of tone down and I found that I saw a lot of kind of sarcasm was the way to to connect socially and I just felt really like so 
earnest and like, <laughs> like, like earnest and passionate, you know, and like serious. And I, like, I really had to school that out of myself to survive there. I think having you give blessings mm. to my daughter, there's like nothing more powerful. I think that we, mm. we're also speaking of Jewishness and mm-hmm. how we kind of are making it ours, especially as the world feels cr- crazy, mm. knowing that we're and so rooted in each other. Mm-hmm. All I can hope for in my life and for my kid is that it is marked with moments mm. like that, you know, of just like love from people who care about our roots and about creating something new together. My grandmother had just recently passed away and um, and we were also giving Clara my grandmother's Hebrew name as, as mm. her Hebrew name. And you you sang my grandmother's favorite song, the one that like you know they sang at her funeral and mm. and but that was her favorite and it's in spanish and but i also i didn't know that like i suggested, you suggested that song it. without knowing and it was so like clued in yeah. like what if i sang gracias a la vida and i was i just burst into tears <laughs> and then you did it so powerfully and mm-hmm. i think to know that you could bring that into this jewish ceremony mm-hmm. and kind of make it ours mm-hmm. It was really something. But that's also, like, what more could you ask for from friendship than to, like, transmute painful memories or associations into, like, a new, like, a fresh context that has so much joy? Yeah. That's what we do for each other, I think, all the time. (laughs) Rebecca, we work together... Literally daily. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, there's no Saturdays or Sundays off from Mm -hmm. talking. But (laughs) we share a business. We share a brain. Sometimes we share babysitters. uh, But I actually think I know you better now. Right. Like, when you meet your significant other's friends and you're either more in love or totally ready to bounce. Well, I'm more in love. And I was already halfway in love with Daniela. So this is like, this is just another big love fest. Um, And it's not just her voice, so it doesn't hurt. It's that she's like the flip side of you. It's like who you would be if you were an artsy introvert. Well, that's a compliment because that's something I would like to know about myself, what the artsy introvert version of me is. But wait, right now it's a little bit off balance. Uh, I feel like I need to hear about you and your ladies. So I wanted to introduce you to Cindy Huang Boxer, Alex Dylan Steele, and Unique Marie Fernandez Breving. I mean, I use all of their still maiden names because that's like in my head how I know them. I was really impressed with myself that I got all three of these women booked into the studio at the same time on a Wednesday when everybody has kids. Uh, But of course, because life and kids, Unique couldn't make it into the last minute. But you basically get to meet her anyways. And I've known them all since freshman year of college. Right. But I'm assuming you didn't meet in a discussion group about identity in like the common room lounge. We realized actually that we met because we were all like pack a day smokers. <laughs> <laughs> and at some point for each of us, I think maybe Alex and Cindy literally met each other because they were one of them was trying to get a lighter from the other. Mm-hmm. But we were all in some configuration smoking in a back hallway or on the front porch. Well, that was a great time for that. But I'm glad you quit because, <laughs> you know, health. But also, I guess however you find your peeps, finding them is what matters. Indeed. So, fam, meet my fam.
we were placed together totally randomly. We got the whole like, here's your person, here's the name, here's the phone number. <laughs> you get it in the mail beforehand, yeah. right? We suggest that you call them and at least talk to them <gasps> before oh on God, an actual landline. <laughs> um, and so we talked on the phone and we were both kind of nerdy and we were both kind of funny. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And then when I met her, I was like, okay, she's normal. It's going to be okay. And then you and I were like, we're never going to make any other friends. Two weeks into school, freshman year, you were like, I think I found somebody else that we can be friends with. <laughs> and that other person <laughs> exactly was unique. Yep. And you were like, she wears a leather jacket and she smokes. So I literally like cased her and picked her up. I think basically... Alex and Unique were my only friends until Unique made another friend that was you. Do you remember when we met? I remember being in a class with you and being extremely intimidated. And I would walk like 14 steps behind you while you (laughs) smoked um, uh, a Marlboro Red. And she like owned her walk, okay? I'm not even kidding. I guess it's like unusual to meet your soulmates when you're 18. Yeah. And high school was fine for me. Like... I had friends, but I didn't have, like, soulmates there. Like, there was a Korean thing happening in high school that I was not a part of because they were, like, really into being Korean and, like, all went to the same church and stuff. And, like, because that wasn't going to be my only social outlet, I always felt excluded from it. And at Northwestern, I totally remember there were, like, the cool Asians. And, like, I hung out with them a couple times. And I was like, oh, my God, the Asians like me. Nobody's trying to convert me. And then I don't remember an exact conversation, but there was a clear moment where they were positing that I needed to make a choice. And then, like, meeting Cindy, you had your own whole, like, Korean thing that then I felt welcomed into for the first time. But that it didn't mean that I couldn't be friends with, like, Alex and Unique. Right. It, It, like, exploded my world. Hmm. And so I felt like I found people that both I could identify with as a Korean person and then, like, as an immigrant kid, like, with Unique, even though her vibe was totally different, and then my white friend. I know. (laughs) Yep, that's right. And also, I'm your New York friend, so it's, like, a little bit, like, let's do it that way. (laughs) Alex, you being in the Midwest was also you being in transition in a very specific way. For sure. I had a really hard time. I also was transitioning from a, a graduating class of 49 people, going to, like, a huge university. I didn't like being with my parents, like, mm-hmm. co-ed. It was really hard. I remember, like, Amy and Unique had to do, like, multiple interventions to, like, get me to leave my desk to, like, stop working and, like, go have fun. And <laughs> No, my thing was when I got to Northwestern, I, I thought I wanted to hang out with all Koreans, and I thought it would actually make my parents really happy, that I would have more Korean friends, and it just never felt right. And it never felt right in high school. It never felt right, right. in college. So did you have so- fun? It was just, like, didn't feel I- homey? I had fun. I just didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain it, really. Like, everyone was perfectly nice and great, and I still have good friendships from that time in my life. But, like, right. I don't think they fully got me because I was, like, this weirdo from the Midwest. I didn't speak very good Korean. I still don't. Like, my my link to my culture is really thin. Like, it's, like, food, and my parents speak Korean to me, and I speak English to them. And I felt like an outsider, but I did my best to just, like— try to be friends with them and get in on the click you know totally and then and then to be like none of again none of it feels right Mm -hmm. and I think I somehow translated that into being like I'm not that Korean which like fast forward 20 years and I'm like so into being Korean because actually being Korean can take lots of shapes right and I will say I think that like having 
you guys has like made me feel confident that I can do that because I feel truly like myself. I think coming from a family that I felt like was just constantly judgmental, our parent parents, not the whole family, just parents <laughs> who like lived in judgment, just like judge, judge, judgy. And like and then I found my people just are you're my family and you're my friends and you're the people who accept me no matter what crazy shit I come up with. for me you all have a quality that I don't have that I respect admire and wish I did and then that's why it keeps like bringing me back because it's like with you guys then I get to be like the full picture complete family yeah I I do have to say that if anything were ever to happen like I would I would literally have any of you be my my kids parents if you would take their little monster asses I love their monster asses I gotta say, you guys are quite a group. It's true. I mean, well, we make total sense and also zero sense. That's the best kind of sense to make. Um, (laughs) Just a total mashup. Like, the baby of your friendship would be a first-generation Korean, first-generation Cuban, Upper West Side one Manhattan baby. And they would be pretty delightful. They would be so fun. Well, speaking of a good time, I think we should take a break and go dancing. Dancing is such a sweet spot for mashups. I mean, really, all good dancing in America comes from its mashiest people. That is so true. Uh, and sometimes you just want to party with your people. Like, I love a good hip-hop or salsa club. And I also love going to Korean clubs and listening to K-pop and trance and drinking Crown. And, well, this is back when I went to clubs. Now I go to Hanukkah lunches at my kids' preschool. I have nothing wrong with um, <laughs> dancing at the Hanukkah lunch. Um, so Reka Malhotra, better known as DJ Reka, knew that firsthand as a young DJ and undergrad trying to make it in the big city. Which is why she started Basement Bhangra. It was one of my go-to dance parties when I was in college in New York. Reka is a major mashup. Born in London, 1.5er Punjabi American, representing queens, DJ, activist, media maker, all of the hyphens. All of them. Well, in addition to you, Rebecca Lair, Basement Bhangra was full of mashup heroes. Preparar used to go on the regular before he was a U.S. district attorney and a podcast host. Um, Padma Lakshmi would go jet set in for it and bring her billionaire boyfriend. Uh, so many more. I'm excited to rock out to these great Bhangra tracks while we listen to why a monthly dance party meant so much. Our doors open at 7 and there would be free frozen mojitos to help you along. And then we'd start with a Bhangra dance lesson for about a half hour. People could talk and hang out, making connections and finding people. We'd kind of alternate sets between hip-hop and bhangra and some dance hall, and then we'd go till 3 in the morning. You know, I wanted to make it a community space. It was cheap to get in if you came in early. Didn't have a dress code. It was a space that was welcoming to all kinds of people, and it was really just about dancing. When I started the party, at that time, me and my then-partner, Joy, We were hired often by other South Asian promoters, and we were often given two directives. Don't play black music, you know, because we're racist, basically. And don't play too much Punjabi music, which was seen as low-class and cab driver music. As the community came of age, there were these independent events that were happening. DJs and crews started throwing parties. So there was a sort of a a moment where there was an emerging South Asian second-gen population looking for its own spaces. So April 1997, we started a monthly party, first Thursday of the month, and uh, 
I remember I bought an outfit that I ended up returning because I couldn't afford to keep it. But the first night we were very fortunate in that Bally Sagu had just been signed by Sony Records and we were lucky enough to have him as our first guest and the place was rammed. It was packed. The only time we didn't do the first Thursday was during Hurricane Sandy because we literally couldn't open doors. And because it was a regular appointment, I think it stuck with people. And I think over time, it just word got out. So people came from further and further distances. People have told me they would plan their monthly work trips around it. There was a chunk of time where the Cornell Bunger team would drive down every month. It's a five-hour ride. And it was a good mix of people. A lot of South Asians, but... There were a lot of queer folks there, activists, a good element of people who know the words to every song, know every song. They're people who are just interested in dancing, that have some familiarity. The joke about Basement is it's where you bring your coworkers. <laughs> it's like an entree into some cultural experience, and it may not be your specific cultural experience. And also, like, you know, when things got out of hand, it, there was a clear message that if you were inappropriate, you were going to get tossed out, and it did happen. We did a one-off at the Bell House, and everything about that night was run by women. The DJs, the door people, and I remember a rapper in the scene asked, hey, can I drop some verse? I go, not today, bro. You know, you can sit this one out. 9-11 was a very defining moment. We had just done Basement a few days that Thursday before, and 9-20, we had a Basement Bunger schedule, like an extra September 1, and the decision was made to, was to open. The street was blocked off across the street with the army, with people with guns. And I remember a sick guy walking up to the venue, and the guys across the street are, like, all alert. We only had 30 people that day. I think it became a very valuable space in that a space to gather was so important to have a space that is rooted in one particular community but is also open to other communities. I remember that October was kind of slow, and then November we were back. People really needed to have that space. Basement was always sort of home, an anchor. So even when I'd go on the road and tour, the stuff I could play or the comfort of that space was, was incomparable. What I'd want people to most remember about Basement Bangra is that, that it was a good time <laughs> and that it's possible to create something like that again. Oh man, this takes me back. I love LA, but Bass and Bhangra is such a New York mashup thing. It's like literally mashing up in one place, and you know what Rob Swift would say. Ugh, I know, I know. But without being gross, I mean, we also mashed up in New York. It's true. And you know, finding each other is what helped us find our people, which is you guys, fam. So we, I don't think... People actually know how we met and found each other. Go on. I have a crystal clear memory of nearly zero events, but this one, which was formative. (laughs) Well, so Rebecca's husband, now husband, Neil, is one of my best friends from high school in the Midwest. I mean, it's really something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so... Um, Neil was going to Yale for business school, and Neil came down. It must have been, like, Labor Day or some long weekend, mm-hmm. and he was like, well, I met this girl. And I was like, 
who did you meet? Don't you already have a girlfriend? He's like, no, and he was being kind of Neil. And then we met, like, maybe it was like a month or two later, and somehow you guys were, like, already living together? <laughs> but you were like, Look, it was it. Grad it was school happens like, fast. <laughs> we play fast and loose. Yeah. No, I think <laughs> yes. we met pretty soon after that. And then it became like an immediate friendship in which we were just talking about being mashups before we ever knew anything about it. Fast forward to like a year later and somehow you were at my 30th birthday party and had brought me insane straws. Yeah, crazy straws. This you is guys, the circle crazy straws. straws. I didn't even really know Amy that well, but it felt important. (laughs) (laughs) And then we were off to the races. Off to the races. You you can't drink champagne out of a crazy straw and not feel delighted. (laughs) Um, We both grew up around sort of some mashups. You grew up around, and I grew up around (laughs) a lot of Koreans. So (laughs) there was something there, sure. But also, um, I think, you know, we were talking about travel, about our families, about being first gen, all of these things. And then we realized that they were related, that it was all of our every mm-hmm. it was all happening in that moment, all bubbling up like people are getting married. People are having kids and they're asking questions about what their ceremonies. And you guys were maybe engaged at that time or yeah. like you guys were starting to think about that and your relationship was clearly evolving and like talking about kind of weddings and all of my friends were entering into mashup marriages. Yeah. And you were really grappling with like what it meant to marry somebody who wasn't Jewish. Yeah. Those were the first questions we were tackling with like our Tumblr yeah. back in 2013. Yeah, exactly. And sort of Realizing that nobody, we were looking for answers and would have been delighted if there was somebody talking about it or telling these stories. And we just really didn't see anybody telling these stories, certainly from our perspective or with the tone of kind of the joy, a joyfulness of feeling our roots and being proud of, of our roots, but also looking forward. And even though the things we were grappling with were different, they were from the same place. I think it also like was the mashup of our brains because you know, you came from media but from like a business development and strategy angle and I was a longtime journalist and had come from the edit side. Yes, it's true. And then in that moment being inspired by a lot of women especially who were just like, "No, I'm here." Yeah. Mindy Kaling she said, why not me? And we were like, yeah, why not us? And now I don't even understand what uh, my life would be without you. We've we've absorbed each other's mashups. I think probably it's something we have to work on when we're with other people. Like, I literally, there'll be some, you know, I'm talking to someone that happened to be Korean-American. And then I'm like, oh, I'm like, no, I'm not Korean. That's not a thing. <laughs> I can't. And, I, and also I can't project it out into the world that this is part of me. <laughs> <laughs> Although it is. You know, I think that's the thing, too. Like, I've adopted your parents yeah. and your brothers. Like, they're just all, they're all not, they're mine now. But, you, like, my world has grown so much by that. And it's really given me models for, like, how different families work. And I, I hope that the love that we have for each other and for mashup, yeah. that I hope that, like, everybody listening feels that, too. Yeah. You could all come and sit on our couch. It's just like, what if we have an event and it's just like the it's Guinness Book of World Records, the the world's biggest couch, and everybody comes and sits on it. So <laughs> be super fun or gross. Um, <laughs> you know, I have a fabric phobia. We started mashup literally for each other mm-hmm. and for like our groups of five friends. 
<laughs> but the Tumblr still exists somewhere. If you go back to like November or October of 2013, you can see it was just like us starting to curate articles and images that we like that felt mashy, which eventually became our newsletter, which you should all subscribe to. And then I'm trying to think of the first time we were like, oh, my God, somebody that is not related to us and that we didn't go to college with is looking at our blog. I know. Well, you know that I'm obsessed with analytics. So as soon as I was like, there were more than five people on this site and I know you and I went there. I think what happened is we set up an email address and these emails from you guys and from people connecting in, they're really long. And really special because people are excited to you guys and we're excited to hear it, hear the real details of your whole story because you've been wanting to tell them. Um, You know, people write to us, it's important for me to hear wonderful storytellers and their history while I figure out mine. I listen because it's comforting to hear stories and experiences that are reflective of my own. I feel like I belong to a community that I can't always get where I live. This is why we're doing this. Like, it's not just us. We're not alone. Um, And I think it inspires us um, so much to know that we're in this together. Building a business, it's the best thing in the world because you get to build a business that you believe in. And you get to support, for us, other women, especially women of color, as they develop and grow. But it's fucking hard. (laughs) And I think... We talk a lot internally about, like, what is our measure of success? Like, what is actually really important to us? And for us, it's not just about, like, building a business or gaining numbers or, you know, making sure that, like, the Mashup Americans grows an audience. Whatever those things are that, like, people want us to believe in. It's the fact that people connect. Mm. And that people write to us saying, like, we thought we were alone and now we know we're not. This really is why we do what we do. We do it because we're finding people who make you feel rooted and at home, who make you feel like the insidiest insider is what makes, I don't know, me feel strong. I know it makes you feel strong and just ready to take on this crazy world. Yeah. Well, it's what we want for you, fam. If nothing else, we want you to find that insidiest insider feeling here at the Mashup Americans. Write to us at yo at mashupamericans.com anytime. Visit us on social. We love hearing from you. We want to know who you want to hear and how we can bring in your people, our people, all all the peoples here. Every single one of our peoples. It's true. We love you. We love all of you. Um, And please consider supporting our show at mashupamericans.com slash donate. Giving what you can helps us keep this space going, a space that is made just for you. Sharing voices and stories from Mashup past, present, and future. Well, that's it. Until next week, when we get into raising amazing Mashup babies, which you do not want to miss, Christine Grosslow will make us all feel so much better. Trust us, she made us feel <laughs> She really alleviated a lot of anxiety. Um, until then, the Mashup Americans are me, Amy Choi. And me, Rebecca Lair. Our producer is the great Lizzie Jacobs. Music this week by DJ Rob Swift, A Lot Moment, Snowblink, and DJ Reka. Our show is produced by American Public Media and Southern California Public Radio, KPCC. 